This is episode number 28 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, well, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The liberal mainstream media cannot be objective, and the conservative now state-run media has been completely compromised. We, however, at the Individual One podcast, have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, our Individual One pod Twitter handle now has over 11,000 followers. Feel free to join us there at individual, the number one pod. Normally, we have a lot to talk about on each episode of the Individual One podcast. Today, we have uh, an abundance of topics. And what's really interesting as I'm looking through the agenda for the next hour is that just about every single thing we're going to discuss today is from the last 24 hours. <laughs> Normally, we, we do this twice a week because we figure, okay, you know, there's several days of news to, to recap. In this particular situation, it's basically just one day. And I think that's emblematic of where we are in the, the craziness that is the Trump administration, and it's getting nuttier on almost an hourly basis. Correct. As a matter of fact, um, we are now in what I'm calling the obstruction of the obstruction phase of the Trump-Russia saga. Things are really heating up. This today, the Trump administration has evoked or invoked executive privilege over the entire Mueller report. That's right. <laughs> executive privilege. I don't even understand what the basis of this argument is. 92% of the report is already public, but uh, this is in response to the Democrats in Congress planning to hold a contempt vote on Attorney General Bill Barr, a vote which could be happening any moment as we speak. By the time you uh, are able to access this podcast, that probably will have already have happened. What the significance of that is, who knows, because it, we're no longer in Kansas, Dorothy. Uh, th this is a situation where things that used to matter no longer do. And uh, basically, the other side can just say, go F yourselves. We don't care. Uh, and uh, contempt of Congress now means nothing. Apparently, nothing means anything. Uh, but uh, it seems awfully strange that if you're Donald Trump, you're going to exert executive privilege over your own exoneration. Seems a little bit odd, does it not? Correct. Yeah, but because we've been told, we've been told that all of this is an exoneration, at least at some level, of uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, he himself has, has uh, gone out and spiked the football numerous times. Uh, he has been uh, triumphing and taking a victory lap. Uh, this was what he, he said. This is remarkable on so many different levels. Uh, but this is a speech he gave over the weekend to a very enthusiastic crowd of supporters about where we are with regard to the entire Trump-Russia saga and the Mueller investigation. After three years of lies and smears and slander, the Russia hoax is finally dead. The collusion delusion is over. 
the special counsel completed its report and found no collusion and no obstruction. I could have told you that two and a half years ago very easily. Total exoneration, complete vindication. You know, it's interesting. Robert Mueller was a god to the Democrats, was a god to them until he said there was no collusion. They don't like him so much right now. The president of the United States, ladies and gentlemen, there's almost not a full sentence he got through there that's not a lie or at least a deception. And, of course, it makes no sense when if this is your total vindication and exoneration, why don't you want even Congress to see the report? Why are you invoking executive privilege over it? Uh, The reality is this. There's plenty of collusion in the report. He did not exonerate him on obstruction at all. In fact, it's very clear that he uh, effectively said he should be indicted on obstruction if he was not the president of the United States. 700 former prosecutors have signed a letter. That number continues to grow, uh, saying that if Donald Trump was anybody else but the president of the United States, he would have been indicted on obstruction based upon the information in the Mueller report. Uh, It certainly seems as if uh, Trump there is disputing and discrediting his entire two-year-long mantra that this was a witch hunt. Because if this was a witch hunt, then why did Mueller decide at the very end to just give it all up? Well, why? If this was a witch hunt, why didn't he follow through on the witch hunt? Of course, because it was not a witch hunt. In fact, it was the opposite of a witch hunt. I believe Robert Mueller gave Donald Trump every possible benefit of the doubt almost to his own detriment. I think he might have even got a little intimidated by the whole witch hunt mantra BS. I found it particularly funny that uh, that Trump has created his own phrasing regarding collusion because uh, I wrote a column way back when this whole thing was really starting to get heated and it was clear that Trump was going to take the Al Davis just win baby, win at all costs attitude towards defeating this Russia investigation, where I compared what I thought was going to be the Trump defense to the O.J. Simpson defense. And during that process, I I even uh, I thought satirically at the time, I envisioned Trump doing a Johnny Cochran. You know, Johnny Cochran was O.J. Simpson's defense attorney who famously said, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. And I said, well, you know, with regard to Trump and and Russian collusion, he's going to come up with something along the lines of collusion and delusion. And sure enough, the collusion delusion is over. (laughs) Well, it's just it's amazing how predictable he is. And, and yet it's also incredibly sad as well. So let's review his reaction to this exoneration, this vindication, as he uh, he terms it now uh, in referring to the Mueller report. He has his attorney general put out a phony four page summary that mischaracterizes the findings based upon Mueller's own reaction to it in the letter that was hidden from public. We have a three-week delay between that time and the time in which 
the report, 98, 92%, 8% of it is redacted, 92% of the report is released to the public. That three-week delay is critical because it allows a false narrative to set in and be set in stone, especially within the conservative media and the ranks of Trump supporters who are now given permission to not ever read the report. No need to do so because they know the conclusion, hey, the collusion delusion is over and the hoax, by the way, it's not a hoax. That maybe that's the most important thing I just forgot to mention there. This is not a hoax. Regardless of Trump's uh, uh, culpability in all this, it was not a hoax. Russia influenced the election on his behalf. That is a dead solid fact that is no longer in dispute by anybody other than uh, cult members and conspiracy nut jobs. Correct. So, uh, and that's incredibly important to point out because it might happen again in the 2020 election. But we have that three-week delay that's critical. We have Bill Barr's perjurious testimony during that time period where he says, you know, gee, I have no idea where these reports are coming from, that the Mueller team is unhappy with my summary. That was a lie. Barr holds a bogus press conference just before the report is even out. And that's always a sure sign that you're not hiding anything. You hold a press conference before anyone's actually seen the report so they can ask any questions about it. Then we have that highly redacted release. We still don't know about these 12 other investigations that are apparently part of the redactions in the report. We have then Barr goes back to the Senate to testify. More bogus, arrogant testimony where he says he's not even going to release notes of a phone call that he had with Robert Mueller. By the way, why is he even taking notes? Why does he have people there to take notes? He clearly understands there's a problem. You only do that if you're anticipating an issue, and you only don't release the notes if they're bad. Then he refuses to testify the next day to the House Judiciary Committee because he doesn't want to go in front of a committee where a Democrat is in control of what's going down. He's happy to go in front of a a committee that's controlled by Lindsey Graham, who's turned out to be a complete and total hypocrite and a fraud, which we'll get to momentarily. But he's not going to go in front of a committee that's run by Democrats. So he, he gives the middle finger to the, to the Democratic uh, Congressional Committee, the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, then the White House prevents Don McGahn from testifying and turning over key documents. The former White House counsel who was key to one of the major obstruction allegations against Donald Trump. We've got Sarah Sanders who in the report admits to lying about James Comey uh, publicly in a very important and dramatic way, saying that the FBI, uh, he had lost confidence within the FBI. That was a total lie. She admitted it uh, to the special counsel's office, yet somehow she still has a job. She's out there now threatening that they're not going to let Robert Mueller testify next week as scheduled on Wednesday, which, of course, is another day where we have an edition of the Individual One podcast, which, of course, is just the way things tend to go. But I digress. So we got Sarah Sanders threatening to not let Mueller testify. And now today we have the, the Trump administration exerting executive privilege over the entire Mueller report. Folks, if this is how Trump reacts to his exonerations, what would it look like if he was really trying to cover something up? I mean, this is an obvious and total cover-up. Correct. It, it couldn't get more clear than this. And yet, uh, of course, you know, the right-wing media is holding strong. The uh, the Trump cult 45 is holding strong. Uh, and, and therefore, there's not likely to be any major repercussions or impact of this, at least until the 2020 elections. Now, some people are making very 
uh, valid comparisons to what's going on right now and what occurred just before Richard Nixon was forced to resign. There are a lot of substantive similarities. And if you don't believe me, just ask Lindsey Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. This is a commercial run by uh, Republicans for the Rule of Law, which is an organization I believe is of its it figuratively or effectively run by Bill Crystal, who was one of our first guests on the Individual One podcast, but he's associated with the group. And uh, this is fantastic because this is Lindsey Graham, who a couple of episodes ago I told you I had great admiration for during the Bill Clinton impeachment saga. He was, to me, the most articulate, and I thought at the time the most sincere fighter for what I thought, mistakenly, apparently, was a fight for justice and principle and the rule of law and the Constitution in his battle to try to make sure that Bill Clinton was held accountable for his perjury and obstruction of justice in the entire Monica Lewinsky-Paula Jones situation. So this is Lindsey Graham back in 1998, late 1998, in the heat of the Bill Clinton impeachment saga, actually invoking the Nixon situation to show that the way Clinton was responding to the investigation was enough for impeachment to go forward and was a large part of why Nixon was eventually forced to resign by Republicans, of course, which isn't going to happen in this day and age because we live in a totally different environment. No one cares about principle. They only care about themselves, their own gig, and there's Fox News Channel and talk radio and the Drudge Report, none of which existed in the Nixon era. But here's Lindsey Graham. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about (laughs) Forget Nixon for a second and tell me what the difference is between him talking about Nixon and him talking about the way that the Trump administration and Trump himself have reacted to the Mueller report. This is Lindsey Graham back in 1998. Article 3 of impeachment against Richard Nixon The article was based on the idea that Richard Nixon, as president, failed to comply with subpoenas of Congress. Congress was going through its oversight function to provide oversight of the president. When asked for information, Richard Nixon chose not to comply, and the Congress back in that time said, you're taking impeachment away from us. You're becoming the judge and jury. It is not your job to tell us what we need. It is your job to comply with the things we need to provide oversight over you. The day Richard Nixon failed to answer that subpoena is the day that he was subject to impeachment because he took the power from Congress over the impeachment process away from Congress and he became the judge and jury. That's really extraordinary. I mean, there's hypocrisy and then there's that. Because now Lindsey Graham, then he was a congressman, he sold out Uh, his fellow uh, impeachment managers in the House when it came to the actual impeachment trial because he didn't want to push it too far because he wanted to be the senator from South Carolina. Now he's not just the senator from South Carolina. He's the head of the Judiciary Committee, the committee that just had Bill Barr testify last week in front of him. They gave him on the Republican side nothing but softball questions and, and rationalized everything that he had done. Uh, but now Graham is saying, this is case closed. It's over. Move on. I, I don't even want to have Robert Mueller testify in front of me unless uh, he asks to, which is seems to be unlikely. But that is the exact argument that could be made today about what's going on with Donald Trump. And frankly, 
I think we're heading to a, situa- to a situation where Trump's reaction to the Mueller report may provide more clear-cut and understandable fodder for impeachment than what's in the report itself. And all you need to know to understand why that is is just listen to what Lindsey Graham said in 1998, back when it was in his political self-interest to be of that position. But now, all these years later, on a subject it's important to point out that is far, far, far more significant, the Russian investigation as opposed to the investigation involving Paula Jones' civil lawsuit against a a sitting president. I mean, those differences are staggering. And with Lindsey Graham, what's really infuriating is not just that I feel duped about my initial perception of who he was back in 1998, but this is a guy who wrapped himself in his friendship with John McCain for a very long time. And John McCain has to be rolling over in his grave right now, especially given the subject matter. It's not just the defense of Trump at all costs. It's the subject matter of the national security concerns at heart of the Russian investigation where we're still doing nothing We're doing nothing to prevent this from happening again in 2020. And we're doing nothing to get to the bottom of the core question, which is, is this president compromised by Russia? And if so, why, how, and to what extent? I mean, and, and these are incredibly important questions that Lindsey Graham, if this was a Democrat, would be caring deeply about. And it's not just the obstruction of the obstruction, as I refer to it, but it's also the initial obstruction. Here's another commercial by Republicans for the Rule of Law that they released a a couple months ago that's also relevant here because it deals directly with the obstruction issue. Think about Lindsey Graham talking here. He's really talking about Bill Clinton, but he easily, this is back in the Clinton impeachment saga, he easily could be talking about what Robert Mueller found about Donald Trump and the obstruction of the Russian investigation. This is about a person out of control who took the law, turned it upside down. Every time there was a crossroads, he put his personal and legal interest ahead of the nation. He's the chief law enforcement officer of the land. He encouraged people to lie for him. He lied. I think he obstructed justice. I think there's a compelling case that he has, in fact, engaged in conduct that would be better for him to leave office than to stay in office. Every single word Lindsey Graham said there back in 1998 could easily, easily be used to describe how Donald Trump has handled this situation under far, far more significant and serious circumstances. The hypocrisy is beyond staggering. You couldn't even make it up. Hypocrisy used to matter, but there's no shame anymore. And there's no shame because there's always going to be the conservative media to rush to Lindsey Graham's defense or just ignore it, just pretend it never happened. And the contortions, the contortions that people are having to go through to defend Donald Trump on any of this are almost comical. They're almost comical. Trump is being given in, in the mind of Bill Barr and those that are, are supporting him simply because they see it in Trump's interest for them to do so. Trump is being given the protection of both being president 
and being a private citizen simultaneously. Whenever it benefits Trump to be protected by his office, they give him that protection. But then they also say, well, we can't release presidential uh, information about him because it would be unfair to a private citizen who might someday have to engage in a trial on these subjects. Like, for instance, if he loses the 2020 election. I mean, at a certain point, and maybe maybe there's a problem with the way our, our rules and our laws are set up because nobody ever anticipated that a president would be capable of this kind of behavior or that there wouldn't be a revolt among the public and the Congress to force him out of office if he did. This is exactly why impeachment was created to begin with. And yet there's almost no evidence that he's even going to be impeached. There's still That's still possible, but no evidence at all he's going to be impeached and removed because people like Lindsey Graham have completely lost their souls They, if they had ever had him to begin with. But I want to mention, by the way, another guy who, who I have previously criticized uh, is Ken Starr, who was the, the guy who, who, who promoted actively the impeachment of Bill Clinton. I thought so uh, correctly at the time. I thought so at the time because he was fighting for justice and he cared about the rule of law and he cared about perjury and obstruction of justice. And I thought he was trying to do the right thing. I now believe I was totally duped by Lindsey Graham, totally duped by Ken Starr, who, by the way, I have interviewed in person extensively back in my days as a Los Angeles talk show host. And I confronted just a few months ago at a public event at the Reagan Library here in Southern California. You can see the audio of that on YouTube. And I wrote a column about that, which you can find if you Google it uh, for Mediate, where I'm a senior columnist. But it is just it is amazing to me uh, and very frustrating and depressing how people who I used to have some admiration for have completely dropped the ball now. All, all to bow at the altar of Donald Trump? All for Donald Trump. If you're going to, I mean, look, I, I guess we all have, we all have our price, right? I don't know. I wish someone would meet, meet my price. <laughs> but that's another story. But because because my price range is apparently very different than most people, especially on the conservative side. But to to sell out for Donald Trump, to sell out for a guy just so what? Because we had a tax cut that's effectively a loan from China or at a really bad rate that we're going to have to repay at some point. For judges, okay, great. I'm, I love conservative judges. Fan freaking tastic. That's that's awesome. Uh, there there are things that are more important than that, and there, there's a cumulative effect here. And there's also the impact of where where this is all going. Do you not understand where this is all going to go? That the backlash to this politically is going to be massive, and it's not going to have an end for the foreseeable future. I mean, I realize Democrats always overplay their hand and and that always gets them in trouble. But the demographics are shifting in their direction. And now this this reverse tidal wave is going to play right into their hands. So wait five or 10 years and you tell me whether or not all this was worth it. I, I cannot. I mean, I assume most of these people must figure, well, either they'll be retired or it just won't matter because nothing matters anymore. Things you say in the past just don't matter. Trump has proven that you can change with the wind, 
whatever fits your self-interest at that moment, that's where you can go and you'll get away with it. At least if people want you to get away with it. And as you, if you have a cult following, they want you to get away with it because that's the way it works. That's why that's why the greatest value, the, the most valuable thing you can have in politics now is a cult following. I love the poorly educated. And Trump has the largest, most devoted cult following there is for reasons that I don't fully understand. I get that he he killed the Wicked Witch of the West, Hillary Clinton. I get it. And so they see him as the Wizard of Oz. He, I've always seen him as the, the old clueless man behind the curtain. But they see him, you know, in Munchkin land, they see him as the Wizard of Oz. And, and therefore, he can do no wrong. And, of course, because the economy is good, which they give him credit for, they think, oh, well, he's making America great again, which he has absolutely nothing to do with. The, the economy is on the same damn trajectory it has been on well before he took office. And, you know, you know, this tariff thing continues to spook the stock market, which is exactly where it was 18 months ago. Yes, there are great things about the economy. That's fantastic, at least for now. But our debt has exploded during that same time period when it should not have. During times of this kind of prosperity, your debt and your deficit should not be exploding. It should be going down. And eventually that's going to have a cost. But one last thing on, on this whole Mueller situation. I am um, continually astonished uh, by how poorly the Democrats can play this game and how Trump always outmaneuvers them. And, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I have a gut feeling that, uh, that Robert Mueller is not going to be allowed to testify next week. I mean, can, when you look at these statements that have already been made and, the, and the, the acts that have already been done. When you're exerting executive privilege over the entire Mueller report, you're not allowing Don McGahn to testify. And you're allowing Sarah Sanders to clearly throw out a trial balloon there to, that they're going to threaten to not allow Mueller to testify. At this point, and I don't know, I'm not an expert on the authority and the machinations of all this, so maybe it's not even possible for Trump to do this, but if he's throwing out the trial balloon that they're not going to let Mueller testify, exactly why would he not pull the trigger on that at this point? I mean, if you've, if you're, if you're, you've clearly you've made it obvious you're willing to do anything to prevent the public from knowing the real essence of what's in that report. You've, you've made that abundantly clear. I mean, this has been a very long process from the firing of Jeff Sessions, who had recused himself from the Russian investigation, to inserting Matt Whitaker, to getting Bill Barr off the couch in his underwear back into the attorney general's seat, and having Bill Barr act like his own PR hack rather than the attorney general. All of this is leading up to this moment. And so the fact that they put it out there as a trial balloon, that they might not let Mueller testify, at this point, I think there's a pretty darn good chance they're at least going to try to not allow Mueller to testify or to prevent him from testifying. And what I'm baffled by with regard to the Democrats is that they don't seem to see this coming. And if I'm the Democrats, because this is something people can understand, all right, this is something that the average person gets. I think the average person, the, you know, and there are not that many of them anymore that aren't in one camp or the other, one tribe or the other politically. But there's still some people in this in this uh, demographic that exist and they are key 
to uh, um, how these kind of things turn out politically. I believe that that type of person, that there are even probably some Trump supporters in this category, who would implicitly and inherently understand that preventing Mueller from testifying would be a step too far, that would be going over a line that shows that there's something really dastardly going on here, that, there's tr- that Trump is trying to hide something very, very significant. I think people want to hear from Mueller, if only from the spectacle standpoint. I mean, let's face it, <laughs> you know, it will be a hell of a spectacle for, for Mueller to actually testify. And I'm sure Trump is probably conflicted by that because, you know, we all know Trump, the reality TV show producer, loves entertainment. Are you not entertained? Right. I mean, so, so he's probably, that might be the one reason why he allows Mueller to testify because it would get fantastic television ratings and it would be, you know, exceedingly entertaining and, 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 and allow uh, Trump to respond and get into a fight and all that kind of stuff. I, I got to say, if I'm the Democrats right now, I draw a line clearly in the sand because there has to be a line somewhere. And this is as clear cut as it can get, as understandable as it can get for the average American. The Democratic response right now ought to be if Mueller is prevented from testifying, you are forcing us to impeach you. You are forcing us to impeach you simply be, uh, if for no other reason, and there be there would be plenty of legitimate justifications, but if for no other reason, then you are obstructing Congress's role in oversight of this administration. And this is a report the American people paid for. This went on for two years. Robert Mueller needs to testify. I think Trump would lose that battle politically with a significant part of the population, not with the cult, but with a significant part of the population. But it needs to be set in as a predicate. The line needs to be drawn in the sand before it happens so that if it happens, then they can say Trump forced us to do this. This is not something we wanted to do. We tried to be restrained as possible. We tried to be as open-minded as possible. We tried to give him every benefit of the doubt, but he has now gone too far, and we warned him before it happened. I think that's a battle Democrats could win or at least not lose. And it's amazing to me that none of that has happened yet. Maybe they're naive and they think this is impossible. There's no way he would be this dumb. On what are you basing? that he's not capable of doing something like that. Because I don't see it. I see this as exactly where we're heading. Look, I want to see Robert Mueller testify as much as anybody. And, and do I know whether it's going to happen? I have no idea. I have no idea. But the idea that somehow uh, it, that Trump is not capable of doing everything he possibly can to prevent Mueller from testifying when his own press secretary Sarah Sanders has already gone out there and floated this trial balloon that they might prevent that from happening. That's beyond naive. That's just plain stupid. And so we'll see what happens with that. And we're already scheduling the individual one podcast to be uh, released a little bit later on that date, assuming that Mueller will testify. But uh, who knows what will actually transpire now? 
I mentioned that the uh, the Trump cult is holding uh, exceedingly strong based upon all the polls and every indication that I can see. None of that's a surprise. There are some people who delusionally believe that another story that has broken over the last 24 hours might somehow change that. And that is the story out in the New York Times regarding Donald Trump's finances and his taxes from the late 80s and the early 90s. And this is something that I have uh, spoken a lot about in the past and written some about, largely because I have a a very tangential connection to part of that story. For those of you who have followed me, you probably are aware that my father was the person who approved Donald Trump's loans to get two of his most high-profile properties during this time period that the New York Times was discussing. Number one was his his Trump princess yacht, and number two was the Mar-a-Lago estate, which he still uses to this day. Uh, My father, uh, who uh, met with Trump along with one other person from his company to determine whether or not these loans should be given, recommended that the loans not be given (laughs) because he did not like Trump, did not trust him, did not believe that he could afford the loans based upon his reading of Trump's finances at the time. But his boss, a guy by the name of Jim Von Germanton, who turned out later to be a crook, uh, was so enamored with Trump's celebrity that he effectively forced my father to sign off on it. And so my father did. And, and weirdly, my father just found a couple of photographs with him and Trump from the event they held to celebrate the purchase of the Trump princess yacht. Now, I've posted those photos on Twitter. Uh, the most interesting thing pe- things people seem to say about them is, uh, number one, that my father and I look exactly alike, which I didn't realize people would say think that, but okay, fine. What's really depressing to me is my father was younger then than I am now. But the major point of this is that I have been very much aware of the real story of Donald Trump in the late 80s and the early 90s with regard to his finances. By the way, apparently Trump, just as my father predicted, never did fully pay back the loan for the Trump princess. He had to sell the Trump princess. He bought it from a Saudi arms dealer who happened to be the uncle of Jamal Khashoggi in a bizarre coincidence. And then he sold it to another uh, Saudi soon after that, because just as my father indicated, he couldn't afford it. It was a it was a purchase purely to create the perception of him as a super rich person. And I've also told the story before that how all this culminated is that in the early 90s, when Trump was really at the nadir of, of his business empire, whatever it was, crumbling to the ground, that there was actually a meeting, a meeting of several banks that Donald Trump owed money to. And I'm told that in that meeting, Trump was basically put off into the corner like a, uh, like a child being punished by the teacher, had very little say in what was going on, and that they, these banks effectively decided his fate like a jury. And they decided that he was worth marginally more to them alive than dead. Because if they killed him, then his brand was worthless. But they felt like his brand that he had created by being this bogus celebrity, the media lapped up because they loved this idea of the you know brash New York City tycoon who was dating all these attractive women, supposedly. They, he was great copy. And they created the myth. And so this brand had some value. So they decided to keep him alive. And in the process of keeping him alive, they decided, and this to me is the most astonishing part of this whole deal, they decided to give him an allowance 
like a child. They gave him an allowance. It was something like $300,000 plus a month so that he could pretend to still be rich. Because if he wasn't pretending to still be rich, then the brand disintegrates. You can't have Donald Trump being this brand of, you know, the American dream of, of uh, magnificent wealth if he's, you know, <laughs> driving around in his own car. You have to be able to create this perception, this myth. And so they gave him that, that allowance. Now, I do not know because my father was no longer involved in the process after this. He had moved on to other jobs whether or not uh, that turned out to be the right decision for them financially. Famously, Deutsche Bank turned out to be the only place that would loan him money in the future. And Deutsche Bank is now at the heart of another subpoena battle, which the Trump forces are fighting. They don't want Deutsche Bank to, uh, to uh, as required by a subpoena, hand over financial records for the Trump organization to Congress. Which, of course, always begs the question, what are they hiding? Obviously, they're hiding a lot. Part of what they're hiding, based upon yesterday's New York Times story, is, as I've been saying for years, Donald Trump is not super rich. Correct. It's not close. The, what the New York Times found, which was not startling information, it was verifying what was already presumed which was in the late 80s and the early 90s, Donald Trump was hemorrhaging money at an astonishing level. Astonishing level. To the point where, in a 10-year period, he reported having lost about $1.2 billion to the IRS. $1.2 billion in the late 80s and early 90s is a crap load of money. That is an insane amount of money. Correct. That is billions and bi- I don't know what that would translate to today, but is in the multi-billions of dollars for a guy who was never that super rich to begin with. At least there was no e- hardcore evidence that he was. And so what we now know for sure, and, it's, and this always drives me batty because this is this is the the rationalization cycle for Trump that we see constantly. And it's very similar to what we saw with Bill Clinton and others. But I thought we were supposed to be better than that. But this is actually worse. Here's the here's the rationalization cycle with Trump. An allegation is made and his defenders say, well, no, 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 no. It hasn't really been proven and he's denying it. So he deserves the benefit of the doubt. And you know what? The fake news media probably has this wrong. And then it gets proven sometime down the road. And then the reaction is, up, oh, see, yep, old news. Why are you guys obsessed with old news? Everybody already knew this already. No, they did not. No, they did not. Donald Trump was allowed in 2015 and 2016 when he was running for the Republican presidential nomination to portray himself as this amazingly successful and super rich businessman. Correct. This was a massive part of his narrative. This was a huge reason that a lot of Republican voters decided to hang their hat on, well, you know what? We haven't been successful with politicians like John McCain and and Mitt Romney who lost to Barack Obama. So why don't we go with a successful businessman who talks a good game and fights back. This makes a lot of sense to us. I know this because my in-laws 
fell right into this category. They, they bought this hook, line, and sinker. My mother-in-law to this day, uh, the first thing she always says about uh, Donald Trump is he's a successful businessman. And I just go, oh, ugh. I mean, and here she knows my father's history with him. She doesn't care. It doesn't matter. She's going to believe what she wants to believe. And that is that he is a successful businessman. Why? Because he seems to be rich and because Fox News Channel and and the media that she gets portrays him as such. My gosh, did you see his plane? He must be a successful businessman. No, here's what he's been successful at. Inheriting money without being taxed properly from his father and then not paying back loans to banks, not paying contractors for jobs that he has has contracted them to do, uh, getting situations where other, he's using other people's money to do what he wants, having other people do projects that he slaps his name on, and if they're successful, he claims that they're his, and if they're not, he just ignores them. Putting together companies that are total frauds like Trump University, Trump University, where he ends up having to pay a $25 million fraud judgment just after being elected president of the United States, which has to be one of the top most underrated stories of all time. The current president of the United States had to settle a $25 million fraud lawsuit because of a fake university. <laughs> and no one gave a shit. It's unbelievable. Getting back to the, this New York Times story. So these losses of $1.2 billion in this 10-year period, they could not find anyone else in the country who had le- losses to this level. Nobody. In fact, it wasn't close. Now, Trump and his reaction to this is so classic Trump. And part of it sounds incredibly dumb, but part of it is actually genius, which encapsulates Donald Trump in in basically two sentences, because he understands his cult exceedingly well. I love the poorly educated. And he knows to give the cult options. And so he gives the cult a couple of different options in response to the New York Times story. Number one, fake news. Fake news, it's the New York Times, it's all fake news. And so if you just don't want to believe it, you want to ignore it, you want to just pretend that the New York Times made it up, then congratulations, I've provided you that option. Option number two is, well, uh, it's actually true. Now, how in the world do you can get away with both saying it's fake news and it's true, but it's actually a good thing? See, I was so freaking rich that I was smart to take these losses during this time period. And oh, by the way, and this is my favorite part, I essentially committed tax fraud by greatly exaggerating my losses so I didn't have to pay taxes and that this was super smart. So that's another option that you can accept if you're a member of the Trump cult. So which is, you know, you don't need to take a pick a lane. That's the joy of being Donald Trump. It can be both fake news and it can be real. And oh, by the way, I can essentially admit to committing tax fraud and no one's going to care. And let's be clear why the, there's so many reasons why this matters. I wrote a column, which I urge you to check out, 
for Mediate today. Uh, it has been tweeted from the individual one pod Twitter handle and from my own Twitter handle. Uh, and, I, and basically what I go into is why this should matter. There's about seven or eight bullet points that I, I, I delineate that show why this story, regardless of whether it's old news or not, should matter. And then I also explain why it will not matter. One of the reasons why it should matter is not just the ethical part of this. There's the issue of how does this guy have any moral authority to being the person as president of the United States asking average Americans to pay their fair share in taxes? We live in a country where a large part of our tax system is based on the honor system. And here we have a president who's bragging about cheating on his taxes. That's number one. Number two, there's a national security issue here because clearly he is hiding. That's why he's reneged on his promise to provide his most recent taxes. Clearly he's hiding something significant. Is it just that he's not rich? That's certainly possible, but it's also possible there's something far more significant here, especially when you consider his personal long-held connections to both Saudi Arabia, which I've already mentioned, and also to Russia and to Russian uh, influencers. So th- th- there is a national security issue here that it is imperative It is imperative that we get to the bottom of this and the fact that he will not release his taxes, that the head of the Treasury is now blocking Congress from getting his taxes, is just another indication of the lengths to which Trump will obstruct anything to protect himself at the detriment of the security of the United States. So I urge you to check out uh, that column as far as why it won't matter. It's because he's already president now. And the economy is good in perception. So therefore, nobody who supports him cares about the past. The fact that they were duped into thinking he was this business wonderkin, which was always bullcrap, doesn't matter now. Because possession is 99% of the law when it comes to these situations. He's president, has been for over two years. The economy is good, even though he has very little of anything to do with that. And therefore, I don't care... How rich he is, I don't care that he's lied about how rich he is. It doesn't matter to me. Again, I go back to the Wizard of Oz metaphor. To them, the munchkin land, he is the Wizard of Oz. I love the poorly educated. He's not the old clueless man behind the curtain, which is what he really is. There's another reason why this matters. It matters because when you understand that he's not rich... You, you not only understand that his background is total bullcrap, that his birth story, if you will, is a fraud, which ought to matter. But it also matters because once you understand he's not super rich, now you understand the context of why seemingly fairly small amounts of money, like, for instance, $130,000 to pay off a porn star, actually is an admission of guilt. See, a lot of people think, well, If Donald Trump was really guilty, he'd be paying more than $130,000 to keep a porn star quiet during a presidential election because he's worth $10 billion. No, he's not. He's not worth $10 billion. He's not worth a billion. I I don't know what he's worth, but he has very, very small liquid assets. And that's why $130,000 to Stormy Daniels, was an admission of guilt. That's why when he takes his trip to his golf resorts 
at great cost to the taxpayers and effectively that money gets funneled back to his own properties because the government is paying those properties in many situations to most people think, well, that's, you know, peanuts. He's not doing that for the money. He's just doing that because, you know, he, he wants, he wants to be where he likes being, which is happens to be his own property. Not true. That money matters to him. Because he's not that rich. That's why the emoluments clause of the Constitution ought to be talked about far more than it is. He's in constant constant violation of the emoluments clause. And the amounts of money, you know, I, I've seen, you know, the Washington Post has done a good job on these situations where foreign entities have effectively been funneling money to Trump by, for instance, staying at his Trump uh, hotel in D.C. And I've seen people say, well, that, you know, a, a few uh, $100,000 or so in hotel receipts isn't going to influence Donald Trump in how he deals with a foreign entity. Bullcrap. Number one, it's Trump. All right. So from an ego standpoint, that's all that matters to him. You're staying at his hotel. That has a big influence. But number two, because he's not that rich, that money matters. And he is still hemorrhaging money all over the world. His golf courses are doing Horribly. I'm amazed more of his hotels, although he doesn't really own most of the hotels, aren't doing worse based upon the toxicity of his brand. He is so money, small amounts of money matter to him. And that's incredibly important for context in evaluating the rest of his behavior. There's one other element that I did not mention in the column, but I probably should have, is that even the ways that Trump was making money during this time period were incredibly suspect, or to use the English language, suspect. But I digress. There are two things that are very strange. Number one, he apparently had this, I guess you would call it a bond, that was creating interest at an insane rate that makes no sense and raises huge questions about what the hell that was all about. Number two, which is more important to me, you know what? how he was making for a short period of time some of his money? He was making money in, in the stock market. You know how he was making the money in the stock market temporarily? He was bluffing takeovers. He would buy the stock of a company that he would bluff using his celebrity and using the misperception that he's super wealthy, that he would try to take the company over. And when that became public and the media would latch onto it, guess what would happen to the stock price? It would go up. But it was all bullshit because he didn't have the money to do it. And eventually... Those gains were lost once people realized, oh, he's just bluffing. By the way, how does that impact? You you don't think that North Korea and Saudi Arabia and Russia read the New York Times article or maybe didn't already know this information? But now we've this information has just been revealed to what a bluffing bullshit artist our president is. And the way he negotiates, you don't think China right now with regard to the tariffs situation which is causing yesterday the stock market to collapse 400 and some odd points. You don't think they look at the New York Times article and they go, oh, (laughs) this is all bluff. He doesn't have anything. We can do whatever the hell we want. You don't think that that makes an impact? 
It absolutely makes an impact. All of this matters. And uh, it's just it's so fr- incredibly frustrating that so few Americans seem to give a shit about it. I had to mention at least once before we um, end this uh, edition of the Individual One podcast that there was, a, speaking of money, there was another story that I got a great deal of amusement from yesterday. And that is that there is a, a former uh, Trump deputy campaign manager by the name of Dave Bossy, who apparently Trump is very upset about because Bossy, who runs, among other things, Citizens United, has been uh, creating this organization that is pretending to be part of Trump's reelection campaign. And he has apparently raised a lot of money, millions of dollars, like into the teens of millions of dollars from Trump supporters under the presumption, the perception that Dave Bossy is promoting Donald Trump's reelection. Well, none of that money has been spent yet on Donald Trump's or hardly any of it has been spent on Donald Trump's reelection. It is not part of Donald Trump's reelection campaign. Trump found out about this and it apparently was incensed from numerous reports. The White House put out a, a statement that did not mention Bossy by name, but was scathing and clearly about him. And part of the reason, there are two reasons why I found this story to be uh, worthy of mention. Number one, it just shows the culture here that uh, of the people around Donald Trump. Remember, he told us he would hire only the best people. Uh, this is a guy who was a key part of Donald Trump's campaign, and he's effectively ripping people off, pretending to be part of Donald Trump's reelection campaign when he's really not. Uh, and it's also hilarious to me that, that Donald Trump, of all people, can get upset at someone else's poor ethics. <laughs> Wait a minute, this is something that I might be doing, but you do that. I got a big problem with it because you're using effectively my reelection campaign to make yourself rich. The other part of this that made me rather amused is I know Dave Bossy very well. Uh, the first documentary film I ever made was called Blocking the Path to 9-11, which was about a, a, an ABC docudrama which was censored by ABC Disney because it, it uh, criticized Bill Clinton's attempts to get Osama bin Laden before 9-11. And uh, that was produced by Citizens United. The co-producer of the movies, uh, the, the, the co-producers of that movie were John Ziegler and Dave Bossy. I know Dave Bossy exceedingly well. There is almost no negative story that I would have trouble believing about Dave Bossy. <laughs> My wife, the first time she ever met Dave Bossy. Now, I was in a, in a time period where after I had just left talk radio and I wanted to get into documentary films, and so basically I had no leverage at all. Citizens United had hired me to do this film that nobody else wanted. And uh, so we, we meet Dave Bossy, and my wife, who's a pretty decent judge of character, except when it comes to who she's going to marry, she had a visceral immediate negative reaction to Dave Bossy that her first words I believed to him and she it was he she believed him to be a scumbag that it was just oozing from him and my experience with him is 100% consistent with that in fact one of the more amazing things that I have witnessed in my career and I've had a very strange career is you know you may recall that the name Citizens United has become very famous because the name Citizens United is part of a an incredibly important Supreme Court case dealing with campaign finance reform. So the and, and on the left, the Citizens United case is is you know almost like red meat. They despise the Citizens United case because they think it allowed you know basically running to money to run amok and rich people to run our elections, which I don't agree with. But here's the part that's amazing: 
That whole case was contrived by Dave Bossie, 100% contrived. And I was in the room when it happened. We were producing a movie about Hillary Clinton. He had brought me in at the last minute to try to save the movie because it was such a train wreck. And we knew, by the, because there were delays in the production, this movie was intended to come out because she was going to be the Democratic presidential nominee in 2008. But by the time we finally got the movie out, it was clear she wasn't going to be the nominee, that Barack Obama was going to be the nominee. So Bossy had put millions of dollars into this movie. And he needed a way to try to recoup the money. So we're literally in the editing room, a whole bunch of us. And Bossy contrives this plan to try to test the campaign finance laws in a way that turned out way better than he could have possibly ever imagined. I doubt even he anticipated that it would go all the way to the Supreme Court and that, that he would win in the Supreme Court and that the name Citizens United would be would be plastered throughout history and be seen as a hero on the right and therefore be a huge fundraising vehicle for him. So I don't know whether what the final numbers were, uh, whether or not he ended up making money in the most bizarre way possible by manipulating the Supreme Court and be, into being duped into thinking this was a real case when it was all contrived. It was all a setup. And this is the type of person that's close to Donald Trump. This is the type of people who are within his orbit. And now the fact that they're fighting together is just so incredibly wonderful, at least to me, although there's very few things that are wonderful. I have to grasp onto something. And that one certainly qualifies. Correct. <laughs> now, um, I wrote one other column I want to uh, alert you to because it deals with this whole Bill Barr situation from the standpoint of how the conservative media is totally rationalizing on his behalf. And I think this is an incredibly important subject from a lot of different perspectives, but I am beginning to think that the, in, the remarkable and almost universal dive that the conservative media has taken on behalf of defending Bill Barr uh, is almost a dry run for where we're heading. I think this was a litmus test. I think we now know that the conservative media is willing and able to accept anything that Trump does, and that includes contesting the 2020 election. I think that's where we could end up going with this. And that's going to be the ultimate, you know, I mean, we've already would have left the gravitational pull of the rational earth well before then. But that's where the rubber is really going to meet the road. If Trump loses in 2020 in an even remotely close election and he claims that the results are bogus, that it was rigged against him, that this is deep state and all that bull crap, is the conservative media going to hold his water on that? Are they, going to are they going to carry his water for him even on that? Because if they're carrying his water on Bill Barr, which is about as clear cut as it gets, then what won't they carry his water on? And that's the part of this that uh, I think people really ought to be concerned about. And drawing a line in the sand on right now, just like the Mueller testimony, there needs to be a line in the sand. that there are, There's got to be a point beyond which we will not go. I am no longer confident that that point actually exists. Uh, and, you know, there was with Nixon, but that's because the Republican Party was different then and the media environment was totally different then. That's not going to happen with Donald Trump. And that's going to create a whole lot of perilous situations going forward. I do want to mention uh, one last thing since I've uh, previously uh, mocked the idea that somehow the intelligence agencies of the United States were uh, somehow spying on Donald Trump. 
I have said that this is not true. It doesn't make any damn sense. And the fact that Bill Barr would say such a thing was the first indication that he really is a complete and total hack, uh, that the, the people who have been claiming this are nothing but conspiracy theorists and nut jobs who are grasping at straws to defend Donald Trump. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? Well, at least the FBI director, Chris Wray, and in a normal administration, this would be massive news. The FBI director directly contradicting the attorney general, Chris Wray, testifying that there was no spying on the Trump campaign and there's no evidence of any illegal activity by our our intelligence agencies with regard to the surveillance that parts of the Trump campaign were under because of their own interactions with foreign intelligence agencies, uh, to me, puts the lie to this bogus theory that so many cult members have bought into, but most people won't even know about it because we've had so much news over the last 24 hours that it got totally lost in the tidal wave. And that's just the world we live in. Uh, As always, we finish each episode of the Individual One podcast with the continuingly updated percentages of whether or not Donald Trump will finish his first term in office and whether or not he'll be reelected. Slight change to the numbers, but nothing dramatic. In a rational world, they should change dramatically because we are headed right down the Nixon path. But for reasons I've already articulated, the result's not going to be there. But I would say it's a 7% chance right now that Donald Trump does not finish his first term in office for whatever reason. And I'm putting his re-election chances right now at 49%. That'll do it for this edition of the Individual One Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, share, and subscribe to it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual, the number one pod. Until our next episode, which will be on Saturday, we're doing another Saturday edition of the Individual One podcast, Saturday morning, Los Angeles time. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. This is the Global Story Network. 